So Luke chapter 3, verse 15 through 30. Now, I have around, let's see here, that's 24 minutes. 24 minutes, all right, here we go. Because the last 25 minutes of our, of our service, we're going to have elder question and answer time. So I'm re- we're all here. We just want to put it together. Which means that if none of you have any questions, we go home. And I'm just <laughs> I hopefully have some questions, right? Amen? Oh, the flesh and the spirit. What a war. Luke chapter 3, verse 15. This is heavy stuff. Heavy stuff. It says the people were waiting expectantly and all were wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Woo. <laughs> John, John really didn't uh, use soft, cuddly words, did he? He was very true in that, in that prophetic sense. He was, he was very much a prophet. And God was working mightily through John the Baptist. I mean, absolutely amazing things. When he was preaching, when he was speaking, hearts were being pierced. People were being convicted of their sin on a national level. People were coming and traveling from miles around to go hear this man speak. He ate locusts, and he wore camel's hair. He was just an unconventional guy. And yet there was just this holiness. He was set apart from birth. Remember, he was Elizabeth and Zechariah's son. And he had the Nazarite vow, which means that he was to never drink wine or be under the influence of alcohol and all these types of things. And so he had probably had long hair and there was just this holiness about him. And God had set him apart from this purpose to prepare the way for the Messiah. And God's power was just flowing through this man. It was absolutely overwhelming. Tax collectors Oh my gosh, tax collectors were coming to know Jesus Christ. I mean, I don't even know what the modern day equivalent of of that would be. It's just people who would never, ever, like, in in art, maybe if we we judged people, um, would never, ever come, you'd never expect them to turn their lives over to Christ. They're greedy or whatever it might be, right? And, And here are these tax collectors, the people who are working for the Roman government, people who were taking more money than they should. They were hoarding it and keeping it and they, while everybody else was in oppression. These people were asking, what do I do to be saved? Because John was preaching that wrath is coming to you. Wrath is coming to you. And the Messiah has come to save you. And so there's that truth and love all mixed together. And the Holy Spirit's job, not the pastor's eloquence or ability to communicate and all this type of stuff. The John the Baptist's job was to communicate the message of the Lord and to be true to what God had given him to say. And so there was just this radical life transformation that was going on. Soldiers were coming to Jesus Christ, were coming to faith in God, were repenting, were turning from their sins, so to speak. And John told them not only were they to start doing those things, but they were to continue in, in changing their lives. They were to show the fruit worthy of repentance. 
It wasn't just a prayer that said, you know, I trust in you, Jesus. It was now a life that actually showed that you had been changed from the inside out. Remember, he had called them snakes. How many of you like to be called snakes? I don't like to be called snakes, but the truth is we're all sons of Satan. We want to say we're sons of God, but by nature, we are children of wrath. We follow the father of lies. And I hate that, but guess what? I'm connected to it. That's my DNA. That's who I am. That's who I've always been. And guess what? Jesus came to turn snakes into sons, snakes into daughters, to change our very nature by his grace. Amen? And now, no longer are we under that first curse of the first Adam, but now we're under the second Adam, Jesus Christ, and we won't go into that conversation at this moment. But a great temptation when God starts to use a man or woman of God is that somehow that person begins to think that it was because of them that God is moving and working. And we've seen it over and over again. When God really starts to do amazing stuff in and through a people, there's always someone at the center of that movement. God uses men. He uses women. Amen? But somehow, within the heart of men, we love to think that it's because of me and my ability to communicate and, and, and the way that I organize things and all this stuff that um, that's the reason why God's blessing is upon this. When the truth is, is that God doesn't need that. God uses broken people. We see the picture of Moses. Moses was educated in all the ways of, of Pharaoh. He was educated to, he was to be probably second in command of all of Egypt. He was about to, you know, maybe be in line to be that position. And yet, God had to send him for 40 years in the wilderness to where he couldn't even, he was afraid to, to publicly communicate. Remember that? And where he had, God had to give him an Aaron by his side, and God actually got upset about that. He says, because he was so just self-conscious and just broken and and he just could not be that guy that God had called him to be. There's no way he could have done it. It took 40 years around the wilderness, it seems, to break that man. But it's in his old age, not in his youth, when he's 80 years old, that God started to call him into ministry. Now, mind you, he lived to be quite old. But I don't know how many of us, we look at our abilities and go, you know, I'm not a great communicator, I'm not strong, I'm not this and that, and I'm not, you know, I, I'm kind of older and I'm, I'm weaker now and all this type of stuff. You know, that's just prime time for God to use you. Do you know that? That is where the strength and the power of God can actually begin to flood into your life. In your weakness, he is made strong because God is not looking for you to touch his glory. He's looking for broken vessels to fill with himself so that people see God, not you. Amen? And the tendency for a man is to go, oh, yeah, well, it's, it's also me, you know? It is. We love it. You know, when Paul was in Lystra, um, remember that in Acts 19, uh, they, they looked at he and Barnabas, and because God was using them mightily, there was power flowing out of their lives. Miracles were happening. The anointing of God was upon them to preach the gospel, right? To continue that Lord had specifically empowered them and called them to do that. And what happened? It says that they, they, they called 
you know, one Zeus and one Hermes, and they started to worship them. Now, I don't know about you. If people just started to do that to me, you kind of just let that go on for a little bit, you know. Take your slice of the pie, right? But Paul, what happened to Paul, what happened to Barnabas, they tore their clothes. They said, we're dirtbags. Don't you realize we're men just like you? What are you doing? Don't worship, worship, worship us. And they pointed people to where the true power is to Jesus Christ. Amen? And same with Peter. Peter did the same thing when people tried to worship him. But, but that's the temptation that John was facing here. You can see this great move of God moving in and through him. And what did John do with that? He said, listen, there's someone coming. You think God's working through me. I can't hold a candle to this guy. I'm not even worthy to do a slave's job of untying this guy's sandals who's coming ahead of me. I baptize you with water, but the one who's coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that's the role of a prophet, is to point people to Jesus Christ. That was the role, that's the spirit of prophecy in the Old Testament, amen? They were pointing to Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, the latest and the greatest prophet, the last and the best of them. Jesus said there was none uh, born more powerful, more greater than him of all of women, basically. John was the best, yet the, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Got to add that part in there. And he was pointing people to Jesus Christ. But we see Paul as an example of that. And then we see a few verses later that Paul actually got stoned when they realized he was just a man. So God's working mightily through John. And John answers him and says, I'm baptizing you with water, but one more powerful me than me. I can't even undo his sandal straps. He's going to baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. And John's saying, listen, I can dunk you with water. I can do a symbolic outward ritual with you that is pointing out a spiritual reality. But I'm telling you, one who's going to come, he's not going to baptize you with water. He's going to deal with your spirit. And there's two things here. He will give you either the Holy Spirit, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, or he will baptize you with fire. He says, and with fire. Now, there's different meaning, different people who, who wonder what in the world this verse means. I'm not going to get into the second blessing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit this morning. I think in this context, when we're looking at what this says, he's talking about someone who is coming, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who has the ability to give you the Holy Spirit, to baptize you, immerse you with the Holy Spirit, to make you born again, or to judge you. Now, some people point to the second chapter of Acts and they go, well, hey, second chapter of Acts, the, the Holy Spirit fell down and there were tongues of fire. And I see that picture, but, and that, that could be true. So if that's, that's your interpretation of this, that I wouldn't go against that. But in the context, he's talking about judgment and he's talking about new birth. And so I feel like in this thing, I'm going to stick as closely to I can as what, of what John's talking about here. And so being baptized with the Holy Spirit is the symbol of the new covenant. It is what it means to be born again. By the Spirit of God, our old life of sin died when we placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 6, says, flesh gives birth to flesh, 
but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 through 37, uh, speaks of the new covenant of the, of the Spirit, where it says, And then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Being baptized with the spirit is supernatural. It isn't water. It's spirit, being born again by God. Jesus baptizes people into the new life through faith in his death and resurrection. The picture that baptism, physical baptism, points towards. You see, Jesus is the one who makes people born again. It's a person, not a ritual. But Jesus also baptizes with fire. Now, I want to give room because we see that one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit is power. And fire might have that picture of power as well. But in Scripture, fire in general points to judgment. It points to judgment. And we can see in the context, we'll get there in just a second in verse 17, but we see that Jesus also baptizes with fire. Now, some think that this is pointing to Pentecost. Just let that go for a minute. That very well could be. But fire in Scripture speaks of judgment. And in the context of this verse and all that John has been saying about, to them about snakes fleeing from wrath, running to the water, <laughs> so to speak, it comes in the next verse. John is saying that Jesus has the power to give life and he will judge those who reject him. Verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with what? Unquenchable fire. That's a very, very hard picture. A winnowing fork. Um, how many of you see, see the old timers, how they, how they separated the wheat from the chaff? They have a, a, a big old fork, kind of like a hay, hay fork. And basically they would take the wheat and they, they would have this threshing floor, this long, large, flat area, and they'd throw the wheat up into the air. And what would happen is through that process, the wheat would fall to the ground and the chaff would kind of be blown to the side. Everybody, you kind of know about that, right? And what they would do in Jerusalem is they would have this threshing floor. David talks about it. they just do this all day long. And what would happen, he would be separating the wheat from the chaff. That's how they did it. They didn't have a combine. That was the combine. And then what would they do with the chaff, the part that was unusable? They would take it and they'd throw it over the side into this dump called Gehenna, which is where we get the word hell. And the picture is the fire that never stops, the garbage pit that never stops. Day and night it was burning in Jerusalem. Yes, they burned their trash to get over it. They threw it over the side. The refuse was burning night and day and it was constantly smoldering. And so when Jesus is speaking about this, the picture was totally there. They understood what he was talking about. And so this is a picture of Jesus being the one who gathers the wheat. 
those who are born of the Spirit into his Father's house. And also Jesus will cast those into eternal separation from God in a place called hell that is described as a place of never-ending torment where fire never goes out and yet it's as black as night. In other words, you're trying to explain something spiritual that you can't with, with physical terms. So people go read it and they go, oh, well, how can it be black as night and yet a fire never burns? It's bad. It's horrible. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't understand it. You don't want to go there. It will defy your human senses. And Jesus spoke the parable of the weeds and tares in Matthew 13. He said, Jesus told them in another parable, this is Matthew 13, verse 24, so the kingdom of heaven is like a man who's, who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemies came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed its head, and then the, wheat, the weeds also appeared, the owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, don't you, uh, sir didn't you sow good seed into your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servant asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and then tie them in bundles to be burned and then gather the wheat and bring it into, my, into the barn. And then Jesus goes on and he starts explaining a little bit further what this means in verse 36. It says, Then he left the crowd and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us, please, the parables that you... I don't understand what you just said. You told everybody, and they're like, we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now they get alone with Jesus, like, what in the world was that? That sounds important, right? In verse 36, or 37, he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. It's me. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that caused causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their fathers. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And so the point that John is making is that Jesus is a, that John's authority is limited. But Jesus is the one with power to give life and to take it away. That those born of the Spirit, they have eternal life because Jesus has made them born of the Spirit. Those who do not will be thrown into unquenchable fire by Jesus at his authority. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And it goes on. So we too, like John, are saved so that we might point people to the Savior. Snakes become sons and daughters. We know what it's like to be under that wrath. 
But we also know what it's like to receive the grace and the forgiveness and the new heart and the new nature of, by God, being born into the new life and the old life being pushed away. Amen? And that's what it is to be a Christian, to have new life. And new life doesn't happen by me jumping through a series of hoops. New life comes when Jesus Christ makes me born again. He is the one. Jesus says, I am the way and the true and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the gate. I am the living water. I'm the manna from heaven. You've got to go to the person. And that's very important. And so if you have not been born again by trusting that Jesus died in your place to take away God's wrath, the wrath of God remains upon you this morning. But if you have, how sweet is that? How sweet is that to know that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, past, present, and future? Is that the sweetest thing ever? Think of your greatest burden and realize that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he paid for it completely and fully for you. Why would you do that for an enemy? Why would you do that for a snake? And that's the greatest mystery that I think we'll ever be trying to figure out in time is that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the good news. And you see the reason why it's so good is because the bad is so bad. Hell's not a popular message, is it? It's real, and it's coming, and it's justly deserved. But God says that he desires none should perish, but all should come to repentance. It means to turn, to turn towards, not just say a prayer, but to persevere in Christ, to go towards him. That's what a changed heart and a changed life does. Amen? And it says in verse 18, when with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Now, does our good news that we share sound like John's good news? Do you think if you shared the good news like John shared the good news that people would like you? Why do you think Jesus says, blessed are you when you're persecuted? Because you're going to get persecuted. Why do you think we don't get persecuted? Are we sharing the gospel? Church, we've got to be biblical. We've got to follow Jesus. Or have we bought into modern evangelical Christianity bows and ribbons? Go to the word. Let it question your soul and heart. We don't need to be mean about it. We're just the messenger. And one of the wonderful things about us who have been saved is we know the cause of sin. We know the depths of our depravity. We know that if God did not reach down and pull out those claws and save me, make me born again, I would be lost. So we can have great compassion towards people who are struggling. Amen? But that does not compromise the truth and the reality of what is coming. So I want to end right there. I want 
need to know that there's wheat and there's tares. There's wheat and chaff. And in this room this morning, you're either one or the other. And God sent his son, whose spirit is in this room right now, proclaimed through the message of the gospel for you to have eternal life. I don't care how long you've been going to church. God saves dead church people. Going to church doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saves you. And then he makes you part of the church. If that's you, and the conviction of the Spirit is upon your heart, repent and turn towards Jesus Christ. Amen? That means you got to do something about it. You got to say, that's me. I need help. God, forgive me. And God is willing. That's why he sent his son, because he loves you. So I want to pray. And after we do the elder question and thing, I'd love for, to talk to you afterwards. Just come up to me and say, that's me. I need help. And forget about everybody else. We'll come pray for you. I'll, if you're a lady, I'll grab another lady and we'll just pray for you for, for a few minutes and encourage you, okay? How many of you have gone through that process where the Lord convicted you, you called out to him and he saved you? Anybody? How many of you f- were feeling under the gun? Like, oh my gosh, what a crazy thing, you know? Just me, okay. <clears throat> no one's gonna say it. Amen, Lori. Horrible sinner over there. She would say it first, saved by grace, and God has changed. Amen? And he uses sinners to save others. Amen. So let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your gospel this morning. And I pray that, um, pray for that lost heart in here this morning, where they're overwhelmed by their sin and the burden, and in your Holy Spirit is pulling upon them like crazy right now. I ask if that is them, that you would just cause them to stir out in their heart. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now, and I'm going to pray. We're gonna, I'm going to send you down afterwards, but not right now. If that's you, just raise your hand, and we'll pray for you. Anyone? That's all right. So, Lord, we just ask that you'd reach into hearts and that you would convict and that you would restore and that you would empower and that you would send them out into the dark world to proclaim the glorious grace of Jesus Christ. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.